Welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast. I'm Harry Jarman, founder of Gentleman's Journal. Today we are broaching the subject of NFTs, that three-letter acronym you would have heard quite a bit about recently. In this podcast, we're going to try and give you the inside scoop on this fast-moving space, and we are joined by three experts that I hope will do just that. First, we have Joe Kennedy. Joe is the co-founder of Unit London. Founded in 2013, Unit London have gained a reputation for supporting and showcasing some of the world's most exciting artists, whilst making their work accessible to the widest possible audience at the same time. In 2021, they were part of the team behind Institute, the first art world-led platform on NFTs. Next, we have Charles Hambro. Charles is the chief executive and co-founder of Geek, a revolutionary analytics platform. Charles and his team are responsible for overseeing the metaverse strategy for some of the world's leading brands, such as Gucci, Tommy Hilfiger and L'Oreal, just to name a few. Incidentally, he was also my co-founder of the Gentleman's Journal many, many, many moons ago. Lastly, and by no means least, we have John Sharples. John is an art and intellectual property lawyer working for the specialist art law firm Canvas Art Law. John has been a leading advocate for artist rights, particularly relating to intellectual property and moral rights. This is my first podcast, so please bear with me. You'll probably be more familiar with our editor, Joe Bormel's silky smooth tones. And as Joe would say, right, on with the podcast. So guys, welcome and thank you very much for joining us here at Marts Club to dissect the the world of NFTs. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna start in very much layman terms um, for myself and and hope a lot of our listeners um, and go back to basics and discuss the definition of an NFT. Um, so Joe, we're gonna start <laughs> with you because obviously from the art world, this is where we first heard about it. But mm. just just to, just tell us what is an NFT. So what is an NFT? This is, it's, I think, a very good idea to start there. Um, an NFT essentially is a, is a certificate, um, uh, really, of ownership, um, which is recorded on a blockchain. There's various different blockchains that exist, Ethereum being currently the most popular. Um, and an NFT is a non-fungible token, non-fungible meaning it cannot be exchanged directly for something else. In the way that a dollar can be exchanged for another dollar, an NFT can't be exchanged for another NFT because there's a uniqueness to it. That uniqueness comes from its um, address on a blockchain. Um, with NFTs, particularly in my field, that address is attached to a digital file, which between the file and that um, address constitute um, an NFT, which can then be traded and sold for often uh, lots of money, but it has lots of different use cases. Um, for me in the art world, it's it's obviously kind of become a new tool for contemporary artists, but also, you know, there's massive use cases across um, culture and, and commerce. So there's brand IP, there's celebrity, it has huge cases in uh, music and film and fashion. So the art world has just got the most attention so far, but there's, you know, there's many other use cases for NFTs, which allow for a very transparent transactional relationship between a seller and a buyer. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to come on to all of these different uses and we've got, you know, all three of you are going to tell us a bit from each of your directions, but you guys are all at the forefront of this. So you heard about NFTs long before many of us. So Charles, when was the first time that you came across the, the word NFT? 
Can you remember? Uh, um, I can actually. Um, obviously, cryptocurrency I heard of quite a long time ago with the rise of Bitcoin when watching the social network and hearing about the Winklevoss brothers and then suddenly they're doing this thing called Bitcoin. I think I was in the, the 2011, 2012 time is when I came across that. Mm. Um, NFTs I started hearing about because at Geek, you know, we started it as a gaming and esports data platform, working with lots of brands to integrate them into gaming culture. And I think a big part of that was actually just selling digital goods in games, which has actually happened for a very long period of time. Ever since games have kind of been connected to the internet, people, sometimes they play games for free and, and the way the game developers make money is through digital goods. And I believe it was, and I'm going to forget the name of who it was, he is the CEO of a, a, an esports team called Gen G, and he was talking about how the blockchain was going to enable these digital goods to be owned by the users instead of just rented off the game developer and what a difference that would make. And I think that was in sort of 2017 where he was doing some TED talk. So long, I have to long, send it to long you. time ago. Yeah, but it, but it was very sort of distant in yeah. terms of, oh, when is this going to happen? Yeah. But he was talking about the benefits of what it could be back then. Yeah. Okay. And John, obviously, as a lawyer, you know, most, most people are calling you up when things are going wrong sometimes. Um, you know, obviously you specialize in the art world. So when was the first time that you really came across this? And obviously you, you've had to, yeah. you know. So before I became an art specialist, I worked in corporate intellectual property. And I distinctly remember the start of 2017, I was looking around for things where I could have an, an advantage in relation to senior lawyers people were talking about blockchains, the blockchain and blockchains. And I was seconded to a couple of big corporates. And within those corporates, anyone who had the word strategy in their title was shopping around for somewhere to deploy blockchains. So the other way around how it usually is, usually you start with a problem and then look for a solution to solve it. But there was this weird atmosphere where people had this solution, solution that they were desperate to use somewhere. And I, I conclude, and that included like, you know, supply chain tracking for commodities and, you know, all kinds of the sorts of use cases people are talking about today, land registries, like that sort of thing. And I concluded at the time that I thought there probably was only two use cases for blockchains. So one was cryptocurrencies and there's a store of speculative value. And the other one was the authentication of digital artworks. Now, I wish I had done something more with that insight back in 2017 than I did. And I, ever since then, I've been like, as things like crypto kitties and the idea of rare Pepe's on blockchains have developed. Crypto kit, let's just go. Yeah, so there are a couple of like early examples of what we would now call NFTs, you know, unique digital files whose uniqueness is guaranteed by mathematical equations on blockchains. Like, I've been very peripherally aware of that as an idea since, yeah, 2018 sort yeah. of time, before anyone knew the three-letter initialism NFT. And I, I, so I first became aware of that. It was that fundamental technology behind it then. Well, was... the technology has, the interesting thing, the technology has been there since at least 2017. It was, and it was only the peculiar set of conditions, I think, of the pandemic and a few other things that really result in it going mainstream. And so, like everyone else, 
um, you know, early January 2021, I'm locked up in my house, don't have the same social life that you used to have. So I was on Clubhouse a lot, the audio social media yeah. app, and everyone was talking about NFTs. And I said to my colleague in the new specialist art law firm that we were just getting going, I said, this thing is going to come like a tsunami. And if not all of our work, half of our work is going to be about this. Yeah. And that has proved to be right. So I would say at least two thirds of the inquiries about new work I now get are to do with NFTs and their relationship with the art world. Okay. Well, look, we're going to come on because there's a, there's a lot of legal stuff to get your head around on this, but like applications, the art world, like many things was the first place that it, it had an application. So like Joe, like what was that first application that you saw? And like, who were like mainly, who were the artists that were using it? Um, yeah. The amazing thing about NFTs and the reason that we jumped into it is because there's this kind of age old issue with the art world, you know, of a lack of transparency. And it's an industry that uses sort of opacity and a lack of um, clarity really on pricing, on sales provenance in order to kind of like hike up value of, of artworks. And so since we started our gallery, it's always been about transparency. How can we create a more transparent art world? And we originally were doing that using social media just by creating a two-way dialogue between an artist and a collector. But this technology, you know, when we first heard about it, the ability for an artist to create an artwork on a blockchain through an NFT and write into that contract that there will be a percentage of royalty, which is automatically paid back to their wallet every time the work is resold, basically completely fundamentally shifts the, the economic structure of, of our industry, where currently it's sort of, it's the responsibility of a dealer or a, or a seller to pay back the, the agency that collects royalty fees for artists. But my experience, it, it very, very rarely happens. It's not something that's even really spoken about very much in, in terms of like private dealing. So when the Beeple sale happened, I think in, in March. Um, explain that. Just uh, so, Be so Beeple is, um, he, he's been making work, I think for like 20, 20 or so years. And um, he's a digital, what you would probably call a digital illustrator, um, creating um, very topical kind of newsworthy um, illustrations of like what's going on in the world today. And the, the aesthetics are very much like video game type aesthetics. So like, very kind of neo-contemporary, not the type of thing that the art world would necessarily classify as, as fine art or contemporary art. He then uh, created a, a work which was authenticated on blockchain um, where he he bundled together um, a lot, I don't, can't remember how many images, I think like 15,000? 1,500, I think. Or 1,500 of these images into one um, artwork. It was then sold for the equivalent of $69 million at Christie's, which makes him the third highest selling living artist in existence, yeah. you know, up there with David Hockney. And so suddenly this, this illustrator who was, you know, at his computer day by day, not recognized as an artist, never really accepted in the art world, suddenly being catapulted into art history um, through this one sale. And the buyer of that piece is obviously, his name's Meta Coven and he, um, well, that's his alias. Um, he's very heavily invested in crypto and NFTs. And, and since then, what we've seen is like, big crypto owners really supporting NFT and crypto artists because for them, it's it's this ushering in of a new ideology, a new world, a new world order, if you like, of um, Web3 um, decentralization. And that's really like, that's what's been underpinning so far this move towards NFTs in the art world is moving away from this highly centralized art world structure, which is riddled with so many issues. Um, you know, you have 
a very select few museums curators at the top who determine what is important and what is not, what's good art and what's not good art. Um, versus this Web3 world where the market, essentially, the community decides on the value of something. And that's that's really kind of what underpins everything. And Beeple was the artist that I think broke down the barriers for for everything. And, you know, with the art world, as soon as, as, soon as there's a $69 million sale, suddenly everybody Everyone is talking attention. about NFTs. And it was an amazing thing to see, you know, especially the auction houses, these big kind of like archaic brands within um, the art industry, jumping headfirst into a, a brand new technology. It's worth saying that Beeple was famous before that sale in his own world. Okay. So although... What, just in a very small, a well, smaller world? He had or? he had 2 million followers. Okay. Amongst the, inter, you know, the internet well, gaming digital art community. And to that point, actually, which is quite interesting, is I think he was famous with an audience that has a high affinity with having cryptocurrency. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So one really needs to ask the question, how did he get this high value? And, and I think you said it, Joe, it's about community. Mm. And, you know, there's a lot of people who have made so a like, lot of money. But it's like, being famous, it's like being famous on Instagram. You know, there's lots of people that have big followers on Instagram. It is, but, but in that the, audience... In the real world, people don't know. That yeah. audience has a lot of spare cryptocurrency. Yeah. And 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 I don't know what your opinion is, but and and it might be different. But I think a lot of people have made a lot of money on cryptocurrency in the past two years. Yeah. And do they want to cash it out? What do they want to do with it? And NFT art is one way they can spend their so, cryptocurrency. So just with the with the art world at the moment, and staying on this, obviously, you know, Jay, you developed a very successful contemporary art gallery, and then you you go all in into your mm. new NFT gallery. Mm. Was that the same moment that we're talking about here when you decided, right, there's, there's something here, let's, let's go for it? And the second part of that question, how is your other business, your contemporary art gallery, and those artists mm. joining with your, you know, the, how is the physical and the digital world joining in, in that art world now? Because that must be quite fascinating. Yeah, I, I think for us, like that, the, the disruptive nature of blockchain and what it can do, you know, you have these two very opposing systems, really. And this has been the challenge because, like, as you said, the art world is, or art as an art form, let's say, is is always the, kind of leading the way in terms of, like, new thinking. You know, it's it's allowed to be creative and try things try new things and be different. But you have this old art world, which I said, it's like, it's very centralized. It's very kind of, um, it, it holds on to the things it holds dear, right? The structures that have been there for decades, which really kind of um, are held up by the whole system. You have yeah. small galleries at the bottom who, you know, develop talent and then the big galleries will poach them. And the big galleries have the relationships to the museums, which are really the gatekeepers of taste in the art world. Yeah. So there's this like ecosystem which 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 has been going on for years and years and years for and years and years and there's you know no i mean when we started our gallery it was really as a way to how do we kind of eat away at that fabric like how can we change that and social media was like uh, really the, the tool that kind of started it i would say but only to the extent that social media can actually really affect that it's like you can bring more people into the conversation you can focus on community but actually like the the sales and the transactions are still it's still behind closed doors. And so, yeah. um, and, and also like to your point about, about people being famous, it's like, he was famous, like lots of digital illustrators and digital artists have been building their own followings for a long time, but they've never been kind of graced by the art world. Mm. They've never been considered as artists. They've never had shows in galleries or museums. A lot of the time they're, they're kind of, uh, they're stuck and restricted to making, um, you know, billboards for, 
ad campaigns or, you know, I think Beeple was actually making um, graphics for DJ sets and, you know, yeah. for celebrities and mm. at festivals. And so like a lot of these guys and what we found in, you know, speaking to artists was they've always been desperate to be recognized as artists. Yeah. And it's this whole thing of like, well, is what they're doing, does it qualify as art? Is it good art? And that comes down to pure subjective opinion, yeah. right? It's like, the art world was like, oh, Beeple's not an artist. He's just an illustrator, you know. But it's like, well, it says who, yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is the whole thing about the art world, which is why and that subjective opinion is so entrenched through decades of academia, decades well, of like so curatorial with, with essays. With these two artists, though, you've obviously got, you're developing all these new artists in the, in the NFT world. And then you've also got these great artists in the contemporary yeah. art world. Mm. Are any of them merging? Uh, yeah, uh, have you got have you got guys jumping over to that side and, and yeah you do, I mean you, you really saw it early on especially I think there was a big uh, a huge wave of concern from artists who are painters or sculptors being like is this it for me then <laughs> you know am I being left behind because there was such a focus on NFTs and digital art so you had a few that kind of jumped in and a few did quite well I think there was you know an early spell where there was a huge amount of money being spent with not a lot of research being done and so a couple of physical artists kind of, did, you know, created an NFT and moved into the space, did okay. Yeah. I think what we're seeing now and like our focus is actually supporting the artists who are native to digital yeah. um, because it's it's just an authentic practice. Um, yeah. there, there are contemporary artists who've now recently kind of done big projects like Edgar Plans is a contemporary artist, Spanish contemporary artist who struck a big deal with. And, and this is happening at such a fast rate. You know, it's, you're, you're sort of learning it on a monthly basis. You know, it's your opinions probably changing on a monthly basis. Totally, where it's going. Totally, but th so there's artists like, um, for me, the artists that are interesting are generative artists, and the reason being, um, coders and computer programmers, um, like IX Shells is an artist that we've been working really closely with. She's actually still the highest selling female artist in the space. She's a computer programmer from Panama, and again, was never considered an artist really, but she was using code to create algorithms which would then express themselves visually to mm. create like really beautiful like um moving digital artworks and she's using blockchain she's using programming as a as a means for expression and i think that's where we're going to see a big shift in terms of like the aesthetics of art and like what we hold dear yeah. in art moving from you know painting and, and traditional aesthetics into more kind of generative code based yeah. things as we move into a more digital culture it, it makes sense to me that um, our forms of expression and, and culture will become also like more kind of um, digital. Yeah, grounded in digital. I've yeah. actually got a, a question just on if we look at, you know, NFT art as um, you may disagree, but the democratization of the art world and, and removing the barriers to entry for talented individuals to produce their work and, and then sell their work to communities. As you guys at Unit London, you are choosing artists to promote. How do you grapple with those two things? Yeah, that's, I mean, when we started, it was, uh, we didn't have any artists, yeah. you know, so it was, it was always an open call. So we yeah. were like, you know, just send us your work and we'll see, you know, we'll see what really? we can do. But I mean, there, this is also like a, another bigger question around centralization versus decentralization, because like, to, and I believe actually having thought about it a lot, I think centralization is a natural it's human tendency. Happen. It's yeah. like we all need someone to follow, you know, because mm -hmm. we can't all be experts in in everything. Yeah, and so even th there is this like radical decentralized ideology, which I think is 
actually probably impractical to the degree where it's it was like, always terrifying on clubhouse when you went into the sort of bitcoin max and this mm. room sometimes and if anyone had any sort of disagreement it was terrifying they'd sort of uh, right, all band yeah. together i imagine it's the same situation here where centralized decentralized I think that's that's the big topic, isn't it? It's definitely ideological yeah. In, yeah. in a way that the art world isn't usually. But to your point, one thing that's happened in quite a short space of time is that the the world of NFT art has replicated lots of the problems of the traditional art world. Because what is the problem that most artists face? It's the struggle to get eyeballs on what they've made. And we're already at the stage where most NFTs will never be bought or sold yeah. we're already at the stage where many many nfts will never be seen by anyone other than the creator just yeah. because there is that volume out there and so some level of centralization or curation yeah. um is what funnels eyeballs and so mm -hmm, there's yeah. still a huge mm -hmm. role for that yeah which it is in a, in a certain way is how contemporary art has worked for yeah, you know, the last fifty years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. it's creating hype. Yeah, it is. Bit. It's yeah, and yes. It's not saying there's not talent there. Oh. I, 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 you know, yeah. just just to be clear, a lot of it, it is, is a lot of it is down to hype. Yeah, it's down to curation is really the word. It's, yeah. you know, you need somebody to organize works around you know some some concept of taste or aesthetics yeah. or concept which yeah. allows people to understand it really because otherwise yeah. you know you log onto a lot of these uh, marketplaces and you scroll, you can scroll for hours and it's, you yeah. see everything under the sun and it's yeah. so, you know, disorienting because you're like, well, what, why is this, this price? Well, who is this artist? And you know, you can spend hours going through or going down rabbit holes. Basically. So that that's in the art world. And then obviously there is the hype world of NFTs, which is, you know, crypto punks. And I mean, it, you know, people might look at it and go, it's beautiful art. I, mm. I might disagree. I don't know, but yeah. like, I'm just saying there's a lot of hype there that's going in with these things. And that's ultimately the success of that NFT. And like, you know, John, you just said a lot of these will not be successful. You know, what do you think it is, you know, with an NFT and taking away from taking it away from the, the artist world, because that is, you know, if you like something and it's beautiful, you, you want to buy it and you want to have it in your home. But just going to the raw form of NFT as, as the, probably the, the wider market knows them, what is down to the success of a crypto punk or a board, a board ape? I, I think in a word, I would say community. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it's, it's about if you sell 10,000, like a lot of these projects, there's 10,000 iterations of an avatar or, you know, yeah. something. Um, and the reason behind that is because you'll have, you know, let's say four or 5,000 people who will buy into the project. And that's already a big community of people who are invested. You know, it's essentially, I mean, a lot of these projects like selling shares in a, in a, in a project stock. or in a company, you know, it's like stock. Exactly. So having 10,000 people, um, or, you know, between four and 10,000 people, let's say invested in, in one project they're all communally tweeting. Yeah. They're all creating Discord groups, and they're all kind of they're all in it together. And, and like, like so the they stock have, market, it drives up, drives right? Up the and they have a responsibility really to to promote the project. Mm. And so that that's really what supports a lot of these kind of non artistic. Let's say I, I, I would put them in a completely different category to art. Mm. It's 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 collectibles. Yeah. And I think, but this is, is yeah. where it's going now, isn't it? You know, art was where it was that's where first people related to NFTs and now it's, and it, you know, this is now where it's coming on to you, Charles, with your agency and, and, and memberships. And, you know, so you're working for the likes of Gucci and L'Oreal and Tommy Hilfiger, you know, there is the element that people are buying 
digital clothing for for a lot of money, which to my mind seems crazy. <laughs> but um, but you know it's happening, and people are buying designer brands like this. But now it's also coming onto this membership side of NFTs, mm. which I guess goes back to the community aspect. You know, a lot of the most successful NFTs, there is a big membership opportunity behind it. And is that the the longevity of? Well, well, of uh, I, okay, so there, yeah. there's quite a lot in there that we need to <laughs> go, go, back, go, basically. Go. But go. Yeah, uh, continuing on from the sort of movement yeah. of what is uh, NFT art and then what is collectibles, and and I I think personally I would categorise the crypto punks and uh, Baving Apes Yacht Club as uh, the Board Apes Yacht Club as as collectibles. The point of that... Baving apes could become a thing. Baving apes, well, why not? You had it You had it just coined that. You had it here first. Almost certainly what he exists. I'm actually very into that culture. I'm sure it's going to come out soon. But no, so essentially it's it's exactly what you said. It's I'm a member of a community. I'm a member of a club. I own this NFT. And therefore, you'll find that anyone that owns one of these things is going to tell you how great they are because they stand to benefit financially if more and more people get involved in that particular project. So um, the other thing that we've got to talk about a little bit is, you know, these projects instill rarity within the project. So do you have the crypto punk that has a cigarette plus the glasses plus the red hair or whatever it is because yeah. that's actually way more rare than the other crypto punk that doesn't have the cigarette that actually has this other pair of glasses which are much more common yeah. so there's this whole system inside all of these projects that are built that have rarity built in okay, okay. so that's kind of interesting because it's like i'm a member of a club and there's tiers to this club and i can climb up the ladder of these tiers when now we're going into sort of membership pro- yeah. programs and things like that, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Is I it, mean, the, the, just the ultimate guy. So G- Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah, I mean, we're V friends. V friends. So yeah. this is just explain this. Just explain yeah. This. So which it, was lauded as art, by the way, which is detestable. which which he did with. <laughs> just, you know, just, he go, just, just quickly go and explain. Yeah, yeah, explain absolutely. V-Friends. So V friends is essentially Gary V's own crypto project, uh, NFT project where he released, um, I can't remember how many, I don't know if you guys know how many he released, but he released quite a few, but there's rarity built into all of these different NFTs that he released. And the point is, it's it's the same situation as CryptoPunks, but then there's another layer of utility on top of that. Whereas if you own the NFT, you get to go to Gary V's conference for the next three years. So actually, this is no longer just about being part of it. This is actually a ticket. So I can do something in the real world, but I have to have this NFT to own it. And if you get the special Gary V free V friends, you can play tennis with Gary V once a year. <laughs> and it's or worth, you can it's go worth to saying dinner. that he didn't just come from nowhere. Like yeah, he's got yeah, a two yeah, decade record of yeah. being a like all round internet hustler. Yeah. And so people are interested in just being near to that kind yeah. of capitalist and energy. It's it's back to the people situation yeah. of like his audience is highly in tuned with this sort of community. So that that's but, also joining of a physical and digital world together. And I'm just wondering, so with, it is with, a bit. with some of the brands that, you know, you're looking at, you know, yeah. represent and look after, um, you know, Gucci's been at the forefront of this. Are they bringing out membership programs similar to VFriends? Well, I, I can't do, go too much into Gucci's yeah. strategy in, in this case, but um, what's publicly available and what you'll see is Gucci's done a collaboration with Super Plastic, and super plastic is a well-known super plastic um, is what? 
it's a it's a it's almost like a toy company isn't it but they've got nfts as, as part of those toys but when you purchase the gucci nft you get a physical toy that goes with that nft okay. i just want to take it back to yeah, v friends quickly okay, okay, because okay, okay. there's an interesting point on this um again i think gary v made like 50 million dollars off the initial drop but he's made far more than that of people trading the gary v nfts on the second hand market so what does this go back to? Well, we, we are moving away from that pure NFT art-based projects that, that we're seeing. I wouldn't even call them projects as NFT art. To actually, there's a, there's a huge community that is buying NFTs, not for the artistic picture that's on the NFT. It's actually about what access that NFT can give you. Yeah. And that's kind of exciting, I think. And if we're going into like digital fashion and things mm. like this. This is a whole nother topic, but yeah. these- And that's going more into the metaverse. This is now, yeah, exactly. I think now we're just going to come on to the, the legal part. <laughs> oh God. Because, yeah. the, and this is, you know, potentially, you never normally say this, potentially the most interesting part of it all, <laughs> because, you know, the legals here are, are pretty vague. Um, people are still trying to work them out. And John, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, it seems like maybe the copyright laws aren't ready for NFTs. Um, I think the fundamental fact is you can buy one of these NFTs for an extraordinary amount of money, but you don't own the copyright. So meaning that you cannot replicate that artwork, you cannot use it for any commercial reason. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no. So one thing that's interesting to me is how quickly up the curve people have gone. So in the when this stuff was first um, coming into the mainstream news, there was so much misinformation about owning an NFT coming with the ownership of the copyright. And in quite a short space of time, people are now having quite detailed and nuanced debates about exactly what rights accompany ownership of the token and whether the rights that one project might give, let's say Bored Apes, might be why that's had success as against another project where the rights were retained by the project owner. So, yeah, in, a, in, in 12 months, it's now a raging topic of conversation, which is obviously great for me because, uh, you know, people want to talk about IP rights all of a sudden, which is like, where has this come from? I never didn't see that coming two years ago. And there's no right answer because, um, and there's no consensus on what is the right approach because um you know someone like gary v i've heard various people hail him as the next walt disney in terms of creating a universe of ip that might spin off into you know movies books toys comics whatever and his approach generally is to retain ip so that he can do licensing deals and you know so he t- doesn't typically give ip rights to his owners yeah Whereas something like Bored Apes has been so widely celebrated for giving its collectors some limited license to commercialize the artwork associated with the token they have. So if you own a Bored Ape and you want to slap the image of your ape on the bottle of wine that you have to sell or the the valet service that you might be operating, whatever it is, you can can use that art in association with your goods and services. And that taps into something that has long been misunderstood in relation to the physical art world is it you know people have always made the mistake that buying a painting somehow gives you the right to use the image of that painting in other ways when of course it doesn't and so i think people have got more sophisticated on this really quite quickly over uh, 12 months just in terms of the success of these nfts yeah are more are you seeing more people now giving their rights 
uh, giving their rights more freely because that goes to the success of that NFT? Well, as I say, there are competing philosophies here because one philosophy is that the core of Web3 is open source. And the best thing you can do, if the value is in the asset that you own, the best thing you can do is make it as culturally important as possible. And some Mm -hmm. people say the way to do that is to make it free to use and then it can be disseminated more widely. It can be remixed more widely. It can appear in culture more widely. And that is the thing that drives value back to the original asset. Because if you can always prove mathematically and incontrovertibly the provenance of the original, Mm. then who cares who copies it is Mm. one way of thinking. But the other way of thinking is that if you actually, if you want to strategize your way to two years down the line, you're doing a deal with Netflix to make an animated series on the basis of the art of your artwork. Maybe you want to retain some rights because otherwise, what are you taking to the negotiating table in two years? Like, what are you licensing if you've already given it all away? And there is every step in between those two quite extreme positions. And I guess no one knows the right or wrong answer. No one knows the right or wrong answer because who's to say, will these licensing deals happen? You know, Mm. will Gary V create the spin-offs that people think he will from the V Friends? Mm. Who knows? And then, you know, with copyright law in general on this, they they obviously, when they're pitting up, you know, the UK copyright laws and IP laws, yes. they weren't thinking about NFTs when they were putting together these laws. No. I mean, do you think there will have to be some sort of correction in, in some of these laws to take into account or not really? Mostly, I think it's overdone, the suggestion that the law itself can't cope with this. Like, yeah. I think mostly the same principles apply. And what we're seeing is just people thinking about it more and that being the thing that makes the, the difference. What what I say to everyone now is whatever option you choose, don't do it by accident. Like make sure it's deliberate and mm. make sure you've formed a strategy and whatever license you associate with your token deliberately implements that strategy you've decided upon. And now that isn't a question about the law not being fit for purpose. Mm. It's is your strategy fit for purpose? Yeah. And you know, have, have you thought about it? Yeah. Interesting. And just quickly, while we're staying on this, just there's another application that NFT smart contracts, um, which there's been a lot of buzz about. Just tell us about smart contracts and, yeah. and, and how you're seeing them being you know applied. So by now, this is a cliche, but smart contract is the ultimate misnomer because they're neither smart nor is it a contract. It's, okay. um, it's uh, a smart contract is code, lines of code that self-executes based on the parameters that you've set in advance. So a smart contract is if X plus Y, then Z will happen. And if you can code for all eventualities, your smart contract will execute those eventualities. For a lot of people, that is something that's revolutionary because it means you don't have to trust anyone. So if it just happens automatically and talking about some of the legacy art world problems that NFTs might solve, you know, if it's automatic that the artist gets paid and you don't have to trust anyone, you don't have to rely on anyone, yeah. for a lot of artists, that's a win. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, smart contracts is only as good as the person who's coded it, only as good as the thought that's gone into thinking about what those preset instructions are. Yeah. So, like, just and just trying to just go back onto the market side of things, obviously there's, there's a number of markets, mainly... Uh, linking to Ethereum at the moment, OpenSea seems to be the and correct me if I'm wrong. Seems to be the preeminent mm-hmm. uh, marketplace. Um, we seem like we're in a bit of a dot com boom at the moment. I feel like I'm already like behind it. You know, I feel like if I started in it now, but then a lot of people are saying it's just the beginning, and you know, this is this is the start of something. 
Um, there's also a lot of people saying there's going to be a correction at some point. And, you know, there are the fact that 99% of these NFTs, John, I think you said earlier, aren't going to see the light of day or the only person that's going to see them is the creator. Yeah. Um, 99 might be a bit high. Okay. But, okay, but, it, okay. but maybe not by yeah. much. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Joe, like where, you know, where do you think we are at the moment? Let's start with this year. Like, do you think we're in a dot-com boom? You know, do, you know where, how do you see this panning out over the next year? So this is not financial advice. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, it's, it's very, very hard to say. I mean, I am confident, I'm extremely confident that blockchain is going gonna, is gonna to continue to revolutionize like the industries that we're all talking about here. You just, I mean, there's so many brands that are now jumping in and the use case is just so good, you know, and, and the economics of it are just so good. Um, and the people who are working on this technology are so smart that I just think it's, it's an inevitability that it's going to continue to grow. As to the projects that are achieving such high prices, I mean, the Bored Apes have now overtaken the CryptoPunks in, in terms of like the collectibles market. Um, but then you have other, you know, on a daily basis, like I'll log into OpenSea and there's a new project that's just you know, skyrocketed and, you know, selling for millions and millions of dollars. And I, I think there is a ceiling to that. I think there's only so many of these kind of avatar projects, which will actually be around in mm. five, 10 years time, because they're all so iterative. I think the crypto punks and the bored apes, I, I only wish that I'd, I'd got involved <laughs> earlier. Uh, but funnily enough, you know, like, I mean, what just could just give us, you know, what is, what is the price of a bored ape at the moment? Well, I think, I mean, I've seen recently there's been sales of like $22, 25000000 million yeah. for one of like the most kind well, of yeah. highest rare. And, that's, and that's, that's in a period of, of two, a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, not, not long at all. I, I mean, th again, there's, you know, there's, there's levels of rarity and there are yeah. obviously holders of Bored Apes who can then, yeah. you know, so, push the price up. And, and, there's, and uh, going, going on to longevity and... There's obviously a going back to V friends and, you know, is the key to success here? One of the key to success is about creating this community behind that NFT. And yeah. is that going to, is that going to make it, you know, stand the test of time um, over some of these more just, you know, there's a lot of people out there probably doing, you know, trying to get rich quick. Skinny. Yeah. I think there's also like on the, on the legal aspect, I think there's also another big thing about the space, which is the lack of KYC. And, you know, in the art world now, there's, there's an EU directive that came in two years ago, which pinched a lot of smaller galleries quite hard, but anything that you sell over 10,000 euros, you have to, you know, do a full AML scan of the client who's buying from you. So, you know, so that you know exactly who mm. um, is buying this and yeah. where the source that of the money is That sounds very centralised, that sort of... Uh, it is very <laughs> centralised, but, you know, the, the scary thing about a lot of this um, and, and probably one of the biggest um, threats to, like, the ongoing success of, like, these markets and these projects is the fact that nobody knows a lot of the time who's buying these things, you know, the you don't have to KYC to open a crypto wallet. Um, you don't have to undergo a any AML checks to, mm. to purchase a board ape. Um, and so you, you have like potential scenarios where somebody can open up two different wallets, buy a board ape for $25 million and then sell it back to their other wallet. At whatever price they at, want. At whatever price. So it's that there's no kind of regulation, uh, and no, no regulatory in, framework in around the market. Inflate the price. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing, there's that's literally nothing the, stopping that. But has that, I mean, that's, has that happened in the contemporary art world as well? Oh, of course. I mean, like, yeah, of course. I mean, it happens. Warhol, it does happen didn't that a happen a, a while back? Yeah, I mean, there's there's different mechanics for it to happen yeah. in the physical world too. But I mean, in recent years, there's been a move towards 
AML, which at least um, stops like the source of funds being illegitimate for, okay. for one thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's always there's always kind of games that collectors can play or investors can play to kind of inflate pricing. But I think right now, <laughs> NFTs is still the wild west in terms of NFTs, you don't know who's buying, you don't know who owns this particular wallet. The amazing thing is that you can actually view what's in every person's, you know, you can, you can use apps like Rainbow, for example, that, you know, you can, I could log in and see exactly what's in Harry's wallet. So all your, all your crypto, all your NFTs, um, which is a bizarre concept because it's like seeing somebody's bank statement. You can't, and you can't block that. As far as I'm aware, you can't block it. Everything is publicly, publicly available. But that's that's kind of cool because now we're moving into a world where your crypto or your NFT wallet is going to say a bit more about your personality than your Instagram profile. And this is why so many people are so behind the metaverse because it is becoming, you know, an adaption of your personality. Well, what clubs I'm a part of yeah. publicly kind of says a bit more about me than the picture I took on a beach on my holiday. Yeah. It's, yeah. I'm putting your money where your mouth is a mm. little bit. Um, where there isn't consensus at the moment is on the extent to which anonymity is a key feature of this world and your ability to live a parallel metaverse life that's different and separate from your IRL life. Mm. You know, people disagree over the extent to which that's a good thing and whether we should promote the idea of being anonymous or have a pseudonym online that's mm. detached from totally. what's called your doxed real life identity. Mm. We've actually had collectors who spent a lot with the gallery, um, you know, bought various different NFTs from various different artists, and we still refer to them by their Twitter handle. Now. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't actually know their real names. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's bizarre. And they don't want to come. They, they don't want to. I, you know, yeah. do Zoom calls and they have avatars like that superimposed yeah. over their faces. Okay, so wow. I, I have no actual wow. idea who I'm speaking to. But they spent millions of dollars with us. You know? Yeah. And um, yeah, it, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, the whole anonymity thing is is really interesting because a lot of these guys particularly like the board apes as an example the punks that ape will become their profile picture on twitter and it, it will get used like throughout their online kind of activities so yeah. it becomes their their avatar really and then as we move into metaverse as these avatars start to become a bigger part of their digital identities you start to see how the value of these things could actually be so much bigger than just what, what exactly. a collection is. And this is where fashion becomes really, really important. So I was going to, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of buzz about fashion brands going into the, the metaverse yeah. to increase their yeah. profits in the real yeah. world. And obviously there's a huge thing. So just, I mean, give us an example. Well, I think that's quite a broad statement to say to increase their profits. Yeah. There's lots of different reasons why fashion brands, and when we say metaverse, I'm doing inverted commas here, okay. um, digital environments, uh, essentially when the metaverse is multiple things to lots of different people. But what's happened is social media, there's a new form of social media now, which is essentially uh, more immersive 3D environments, which are social at the moment, they're games. But when you're playing a game like Roblox or Fortnite, you're not just playing a game. The core difference now is you are socializing with mm. your friends when you're playing these games. So it's important for brands like they have a presence on instagram to also have a presence inside a three-dimensional three-dimensional social environment like roblox um just swap your instagram profile for an avatar and how do you express yourself with these avatars uh, a lot of it is through clothing and a lot of it is through 
you know, what your avatar is wearing. It could be a dragon. It could be a, a, a mouse. But normally it's a person. And that's where it's kind of interesting because going back to the PVP projects and how people are buying uh, CryptoPunks and then they're using their Instagram profile yeah. as their CryptoPunk. That's Instagram, Twitter, Twitter's now come that's up. That's almost like, I mean, that's sort of like people boasting that they own that crypto fund. Kind of. Well, when you buy a whatever it is suit from yeah, Savile Row, you're right. you, know, you know, you buy it because it says well, it fits well and it looks yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how you're expressing yourself. Yeah. So people just want to do that online. Yeah. It's, which, just, it's the same thing as a like a blue tick on Instagram. Yes. Or a blue tick yeah. on, you know, it's a great particularly example. with kids, they're, they're obsessed with getting verified. Mm. <laughs> what is that? It's like, it's this obsession with a blue tick that says... I've I, I'm an influencer, or I've, I've made it. In Are some you verified, way. Joe? I'm not. No, <laughs> no I'm still living. Thought you might. Be. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, social currency. If somebody, if somebody needs to write your Wikipedia entry <laughs> right now. But what's interesting, if someone could pay for that blue tick, yeah, yeah, well, exactly. They would. Yeah. And, and I think with the gaming, it's it, it has been like gaming is kind of moving into this space where it's not just it's not just an isolated game. It's actually it has real world value. So like your interactions within the game, your purchases within the game, that all actually has real world value. So in the same way, the kids, you know, if you do get a blue tick, you, yeah. you kind of have more real world value in terms of like brands are more likely to give you sponsorship deals. There's actually a career that you could potentially fashion out of that. Yeah. And so that's now kind of blending into like the gaming metaverse world. And this is important is most games, they're not on the blockchain. Just to be absolutely clear, we're yeah. still in the world of oh, like digital stuff. goods yeah. Yeah. Um, that people own. The big thing is we are now seeing blockchain-based games like mm. Decentraland and The Sandbox, mm. which is the same game, similar and game. And Sandbox is where you can buy land. In the, well, exactly, the... because it's on the blockchain now. Yeah. Imagine Grand Theft... I know you don't play games, Harry. I, I don't, but, I don't. You know. I don't I just, I'm just trying to work it on. But I've, I've read about Sandbox. Someone bought the plot next to Snoop Dogg's house yeah. for X amount <laughs> but this of money. Is so, um, you know, there's... <laughs> it's totally bananas to me, but... There's um, hundreds yeah. of millions of people that play Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. And that is a sort of valuable environment. If you could buy some land inside Grand Theft Auto, there's a lot of people that yeah. are invested in that world, which would like to have that piece of land. A game that's built on the blockchain basically allows you to buy a piece of land mm. in that game, of which you can do whatever you want in. Yeah. Now, the question is, is, is the sandbox or Decentraland going to have any sort of user base which is close to or more and that, than at the moment, GTA? They're the, they're, the, they're the first people into it. So this is well, this at the is... moment, they're kind of the early projects, which is, hey, we built a game that's on the blockchain and you can buy land in it. Question is, does anyone want to hang out in the sandbox? Can I just ask you, because I, I like to collect predictions on this, but, yeah. but what do you see coming along in terms of accessible hardware that will change everything? Because Apple have been talking about AR glasses for a couple of years and then what would happen what would it look like if every house had a VR headset yeah. in the same way that we have well, this is the next thing, big. But, but when people talk about the metaverse we constantly think about VR mm. and actually I think the metaverse is somewhere you can socialize by play and work and yeah. you don't need a VR headset to yeah. do all of those okay. things you know you can you can do that inside many different games right now already VR just means you're slightly more immersed yeah I think AR is kind of interesting where you're in the real world and you're looking at, I could be looking at you right now and you can be, I can see you wearing different clothes yeah. because of the NFTs that you bought, which allows 
you to be seen in a different way through oh. AR. But um, yeah, we're getting pretty. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's my tangent. Yeah. But, you know, we, yeah. all of these different brands are now buying virtual real estate in these games with the idea yeah. of, oh my god, if I have an NFT project, I don't just have to offer concert to uh, V yeah. friends. I can say anyone with this NFT is allowed in my piece of land inside the sandbox. Yeah. And that gives more value to your NFT project. Yeah. So you're starting to add value digitally. And this, as is, well as and this is what VFriends have done quite a good job on in terms of that community. Well, VFriends have done a very good job on adding uh, more value than just the artwork. Utility. Uh, they've added utility to yeah. it. But as uh, these digital environments become more and more based on the blockchain, your NFT is going to be your key to get yeah. in there. Yeah. And so that's going to add more value to the The, the tension here that I'm interested in is ownership as a paradigm, right? Because it, it used to be that owning anything meant that you could exclude others from it. So whether it was land or a house or a car, like the core thing that you had as the legal owner was the right to exclude others. Mm. Yeah. And mm. then one thing that changed a bit as NFTs came in was the, the core property of ownership wasn't being able to exclude others. It was being known as the owner. So that's a kind of subtle but quite significant philosophical shift about what ownership mm. is. That's what a lot of like, like but, collectors struggle with. But that. but but what you you're, can but, exclude. But others, now so. the full. But what yeah. you're talking about is the full circle, which yeah. is if ownership again becomes a means of excluding people, and and again there's there there isn't an agreement around the extent to which that's desirable. Because mm. should this be about open access sharing? open source mm. or should it be about making other kinds of gated communities it's already i, I mean i i ex, it's almost like a, it's a contradiction on itself basically it comes back to centralization versus decentralization yes doesn't it? it's those two competing ideologies but exclusion sounds like such a negative word and i understand what you're saying yeah but actually it's a go back to that exactly. word community yeah. and belonging to a club we're sat in mark's club right now yeah. You know, you have to be a member in order to get in, or yeah. you need to know a member to get in. It's that same situation. Yeah. And it's like, oh, we're all together. So we're going from this, like, this. Is, a lot of it sounds like social currency. It's like Instagram, everyone lives this very Access. amazing life on yeah. Instagram. And, and now people are trying to do this in the digital world. Just going from the investment side, just and I know, you know, obviously we can't give investment advice, but there's a lot of people in this world that are looking as an investment. Mm. Um and Joe, this is probably, you know, more your side with the art. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that are starting up. I mean, is it stupid for people? Like if there's someone who just wants to get into it for the first time, I've got lots of friends now, rather like when Bitcoin came around, you know, it was being able to boast about it at a dinner party that mm. they own some Bitcoin. And now it seems like the NFT is the next side of that. You only hear about the good ones, funny enough. Mm. Uh, you never hear about um, someone someone failing in an NFT. Exactly. But what, I mean, where is this all going? Because it's a big world and it's sort of unregulated at the moment Yeah, as well. totally unregulated and it's proliferating. You know, anyone can go onto OpenSea and create an NFT. It could be a, you know, it could be a, a doodle on a napkin, a photograph of it minted as an NFT and... And the, the irony is if, if there's a community around that, if that happens to be a celebrity that's done that, then it's likely that there's going to be some hype around it and it will achieve a certain price. I mean... That said, if a celebrity does it as an outsider yeah. and doesn't get on board with the values of the crypto community, there can be a backlash that's severe and swift. So it's not it's not just about having a following. So there is, cele there is, there is celebrities that have failed at, failed at this. Celebrities and brands who have yeah. come in as outsiders 
mm. and been obviously shown up as outsiders. Mm. Yeah, really. yeah. There's a core like radical this this whole Web three decentralized community and and these are these are essentially NFT influencers. These are guys with big followings in the NFT world. Yeah, well, so I mean, at the moment, so in the art world, you have you have curators and you have museums and and potentially auction houses more on the sort of financial side who determine market value. Mm. You know, if if a, an artist has a, a big retrospective or you know a big solo exhibition at MoMA or Whitney, any of these big institutions, that's that's a huge validator for their market, and you'll see a huge spike in pricing. In the NFT world, particularly on the art side, but really in all of NFTs, there's not any um, history of like validation within the market, and so really it's it's a much more explicit financial conversation, and that's why the art world has still struggled with NFTs a little bit because all of the conversation is around sale prices as opposed to like what's the artistic merit of this piece. Um, we're still trying to figure that out, I think. You know, and and for people getting into it for the first time, you know, is the advice just go and have some fun and see what happens. Don't, I mean, don't, I mean, don't go and obviously this isn't like a, uh, investing in the stock market and you go putting mm. some money into Amazon and knowing that it's going to go slightly, right. slightly up. This right. is, this is a complete wild west. Yeah. But, and you know, it's the only way to look at it is again, like going back to contemporary art, buy what you like, mm. you know, is it that sort of, um, there, there's a process? degree, there's a, there's a degree of that. I mean, it's also, you know, if you log on to any of the like OpenSea, for example, there's so much being presented to you. And I think it all comes down to curation. And when you're buying contemporary art from galleries, those galleries are so invested in those artists' careers. There's a real close relationship between gallery and artist. So the galleries are really building the collector base, managing the market on behalf of the artist, providing access to museums and all these validating structures. That's that's the kind of the gallery's role is to provide that career longevity. Mm. And there aren't galleries that exist in NFTs really yet to, to any kind of um, degree of importance, I would say. And so artists are kind of having to build their own communities. Yeah. Um, and I think you can buy well um, by looking at what the big collectors are buying, because right now they're kind of the big validators, I would say. Yeah. It's not actually the museums or curators, it's actually the collectors who are spending money, the big influential collectors who are very prominent on Twitter. If they start buying a certain artist, there's going to be a huge market movement towards that. In the same way that happens with the contemporary art world, it's just kind of a basic endorsement mechanic, right? But at the moment, there's there's a lack of structure, which means it's much more risky. Yeah. You know, if you buy something from a Gagosian or a David Zwerner, you know yeah. that there's a team and a strategy behind what you're buying. And yeah. there's, you know, there's a track record of success. Um, if you're logging onto OpenSea and you're, you know, exploring a young artist for the first time that you've never seen, it's, it's much riskier. Um, yeah. So with the art world, the whole thing of buying what you like is you know, again, it's a reflection of your personality. So you buy things that kind of, you know, you identify with as a person, it might be an expression of your identity, you have it, you know, on the wall at a dinner party, and it starts a conversation, it says something about you. Um, is it the same with NFTs? I think in our generation, if you're not sort of Gen Z, yeah. I would say, if you're not 100% screen based, what you have on your phone, and what you have in your wallet right now is still not necessarily a huge reflection on who you are. For kids, I'd say kids, you know, and that's but what are we saying? Sub I would say um, sub 25 now, yeah. I would say. I mean, you know, there's obviously exceptions to that, but they've grown up digitally. And, and for a lot of these kids, like their digital identity is just as important as their real life identity. If not more as, sad, so. as sad as that sounds, like it, it is true. Yeah. Um, and so for them, the things that they collect, the things they buy, the artists that they support, the games that they play, the clubs that they're a part of, it's all, it's so important to them in a way that I, I think it's difficult for us to understand. And so like, I always approach this space with, with as much of an open mind as possible. 
um, and kind of understanding this generational shift that's happening, this move towards digital identity becoming super important. Um, But from a collecting point of view, it's difficult to say buy what you like because there is so much out there um, and there are wild prices. The market is up and down the whole time. So it's, it's difficult. And I think that's why there's a need for KYC to come into play. So that yeah. we under, so there's more regulation within so the market. So you, you are wanting more regulation. Yes. I think it needs it, it to, to be sustainable long term. I think it's, it's an inevitability, um, yeah. but also, you know, curated platforms and more curators in the space who can help to guide people and provide a kind of more longevity for artists and more structure for artists. Yeah. One thing that has to change, and I think it will change, is transaction costs coming down. Because at the mm-hmm. moment, there's this huge barrier to people playing with it for the first time. Because it seems like every time you sneeze in relation to the Ethereum blockchain, you get charged $200 mm-hmm. to do it in, in gas fees. And so yeah. as the mechanisms for that are improved and transaction costs are brought down, I think that will also play a role in it becoming more mainstream. And as other blockchains gain some prominence like you know solana and tezos that that there'll be a, an entry level and these are new marketplaces these are rival blockchains yeah. that have lower transaction costs and are you know, arguably lower then, lower then, environmental we haven't even talked about that today okay, no. environmental impact than ethereum transactions yeah which is quite big we don't have all day though unfortunately no, no, exactly. so guys we're gonna have to um leave it there thank you very very much for that really really interesting conversation i'm gonna go and try and register bathing apes and see if i can get away <laughs> with it um but no thanks so much guys thank you thanks thank for you us. thanks Well, if you enjoyed that episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast, you'll almost certainly love the Gentleman's Journal magazine, the world's finest dispatch from the front line of luxury, entrepreneurship and style. In fact, lucky podcast listeners like you now get 20% off our annual subscription. Just enter the code POD20 at thegentlemansjournal.com to find out more.